MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, December 17th, 2020. Today, sources tell CNN that Trump wants a special counsel appointed to investigate Hunter Biden as revenge for the Russia probe. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov says reporting on Alexei Navalny's poisoning is funny to read. A former Houston police captain was paid a quarter of a million dollars by the Liberty Center for God and Country for running a man off the road and pointing a gun in his face. There was a ridiculous hearing about voter fraud, and I'm not even going to cover it today. And hundreds of Trump allies are wrangling for pardons. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how are you? Hey, girl. Hey, I am. Hey, I am um, fine. I, I'm tweeting things at Elon Musk because he's moron today. <laughs> what did he do? Oh, he's just he. He when pe- he's doing this thing that we just talked about on the show, where he's like, "I'm all for trans, but the pronouns aren't very aesthetically pleasing." And I'm like, "Neither is the model Y." But that's not <gasps> the point. And and someone, <laughs> someone. <laughs> I mean, the Model Y is, I yeah. Anyway, so someone I tweeted that was a euphemism for his face, and then I realized it's a car. Yeah, but someone tweeted right underneath, like I don't remember his kid's name, but it's like you know SD thirty E Y to the third, and they were yeah. like, "How's SD thirty E Y to the third? Like, stop talking about pronouns. You named your kid a quadratic equation." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool i fucking hate that guy <laughs> oh man as smart as he is i mean he's to me he's like one of those guys like ben carson like you're really fucking good at one thing and just stay there because the rest <sighs> of it's a disaster Ugh. well interesting interesting fellow i hate that guy so much um but we have some wonderful people on our show so that we should true. and we got the good news later we're gonna read the good news later uh, although i've i've heard tell there's a correction in it so mm, i don't know but Today, I'm going to talk to David Weissman, former Trump supporter, turned Warren supporter, turned Biden supporter. Uh, very cool guy. I love David. I love David. He's, isn't he wonderful? He's yeah. like, and he he's no t- like qualms about talking about who he was. He's like, here's, here's an old shitty tweet that I said. Here's why I said it. And here's how you can talk to people like me. You know, like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, oh. I'm so excited. We're going to talk to Joyce Vance later. She, she, you know, she testified to Congress. She's a former U.S. attorney. Um, she's a professor at University of Alabama, law professor. She's just a brilliant, brilliant person. And she and I are going to talk about Bill Barr's ghosting uh, the Justice Department, which, you know, I'm fine with. But what, what, why? It's just weird. So she's, she's going to talk to me about that. And then, of course, tomorrow is Friday. We'll have our happy hour at... Uh, 4 p.m. Pacific time, and Amy Carrero will be on the show. So if you have any disputes uh, that you would like Amy to settle in Amy's court, please send them to us. And Do you can it. also send cor- corrections and good news stories, personal or political, uh, and and quarantine confessions, all at dailybeanspod.com and click contact. So we've got some headlines we should get to. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, the lead story, which I... Uh, I guess it's the lead story. Uh, Sources have told CNN that Trump wants two special counsels 
appointed. One special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden and his tax taxes, I guess, and then one to investigate non-existent voter fraud uh, for, in the 2020 election. Uh, sources say Trump considers it payback, revenge for the Mueller probe. You're not supposed to say that part out loud, I don't think. <laughs> You're not. That is an abuse of power. You're not supposed to... Dude, Nixon was impeached. That was one of the things Nixon would have been impeached for. Uh, but Trump is intent on getting these special counsels or specials counsel. I don't know what the plural is. Um, but he has been talking about it. He's insisting on it. He's pursuing it. And I'm worried that he, you know, all of his talk about this kind of comes a lot, like happened at the same time in parallel with his ire toward Bill Barr. And I'm like, is that why you got fired? Because he wouldn't appoint these special counsels. But, you know, Bill Barr is leaving the Justice Department, you know, and it's required. Uh, it is required that an attorney general appoint special counsel investigators. Uh, the, the president can't do it himself. Not that he won't try if he just feels like it. Because, <laughs> you know, we know Barr appointed Durham as special counsel to investigate the investigation, the Russia investigation. But again, special counsel regulations state that an appointee can't work for the government, and Durham does, so that doesn't even make sense. Uh, because, you know, he, Durham's a, U, a U.S. attorney, so he works for the Justice Department. But it's not clear if the new acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, who was the deputy attorney general, would appoint these special counsels through, uh, although sources say Trump, like I said, has been talking about it nonstop for weeks, and I have beans that it's part of, of Barr's resignation, and I wouldn't be surprised if Trump tries to do it himself. Like, <laughs> it would just be weird. Uh, and it appears that hundreds of Trump's crimey friends are lobbying for him to pardon them. Uh, we already learned recently about Elliot Broidy lobbying for a pardon on behalf, along with Abby Lowell, right, Kushner's attorney, lobbying for a right. pardon on behalf of some real estate rich guy in exchange for cash in a bribery for pardon scheme. We found out from unsealed court documents from Judge Beryl Howell. The White House has been so inundated with pardon requests that they had to put a spreadsheet together. They had to create a spreadsheet to keep track of all the criminals. <laughs> I really hope that they put little notes of what exactly the bribe was, too, because I feel yeah. like they'd be that dumb. Like, one column is uh, bribe amount, the next column is crime. Like, what crime they committed? <laughs> Do, have they gone to jail already? <laughs> Are they looking for clemency or just a pardon? Yeah. Have they been charged yet? <laughs> God. Um... Anyway, they've been. Here's the funny thing: these criminals have been reaching out to Kushner and Pat Cipollone and Mark Meadows, uh, hoping that their loyalty to Trump will pay off because try, that circumvents this pardon office. There's a pardon office, a legal council of pardons in in the Department of Justice, and Trump's been, you know, making end runs around that. He doesn't give a shit what they have to say. Uh, but here we are with Trump saying he won the election. And he's going to be inaugurated on January 20th, yet somehow and for some reason scrambling to pardon everybody before before then. So it's interesting. I just don't understand. I mean, obviously, he knows he's not taking back. He's not taking power continuing. I don't even want to call it power. But uh, when Biden gets inaugurated, he lost the election. And then this like last minute appointees to these different positions, I feel like, like as a sports analogy, like when your team's up by like, you know, six, to, like on a soccer game, if you're up six to one, you'll like put in your bench, like for the last two and a half minutes of the game, just to give them some play time, because <laughs> you know, they can't fuck it up too badly <laughs> in the last two minutes of the game. Uh, either that or everyone's got COVID. You oh, know. God, that's a possibility too. 
So this next story, AG, is like out of crazy town. And this is this is a, actually a horrifying story. A former Houston Police Department captain was arrested and charged for running a man off the road and pointing a gun at his head. For why, you ask? In an attempt to prove claims of massive voter fraud scheme in Harris County. This is according to a news release from Harris County's DA's office. Mark Anthony Aguirre, 63, was arrested by Houston police Tuesday and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, a second-degree felony punishable by up to 20 years in prison. According to the court documents, Aguirre told police that he was part of a group of private citizens called the Liberty Center who were conducting a civilian investigation into the alleged ballot scheme. So there's this civilian group that's decided they're going to go be vigilantes on the roads in Houston. So according to Aguirre, he had been conducting a surveillance for four days on a man who was allegedly the mastermind of a giant voter fraud scheme. Aguirre told authorities the man was hiding 750 fraudulent ballots in a truck he was driving. 750,000. 750,000 fraudulent ballots in his truck. I mean, how fucking big is the truck he was driving, first of all? Well, he's just an air conditioning repairman, I guess. And oh, the, my the, goodness. The, and when cops showed up and he had he had this guy with a gun to his face, and he's like, look in the truck, look in the truck. And they looked in the truck, and it's like air conditioning equipment. <laughs> I mean, Aguirre ran his SUV into the back of the truck, Allison, to get the technician to stop and get out, according to court documents. So when the technician got out of his truck, he pointed a handgun at the technician, forced him to the ground, put a knee on his back until the police came. Now, I know sometimes we inappropriately throw around the word crazy. This is absolutely this. This is a mental problem with this guy. This is crazy. Aguirre allegedly told police that he had been paid a total of 200, I don't even understand this number, $266,400 by the Houston-based Liberty Center for God and Country, with $211,400 of that amount being deposited into his account the day after the incident. So this guy took what appears to be a $55,000 down payment? Am I doing the math right? I don't understand any of this. It seems right. The numbers are weird. Yeah, the numbers are weird. Uh, it's Trump University math. <laughs> I think they do that to not raise red flags. Like if it were $250,000 even, somebody might go, huh? But yeah, no, oh people still go, huh? And I also love the Houston-based Liberty Center for God and Country. Whenever the, 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 the words and country follow God, you can just throw God out the window. Oh, my God. The, the story, though, on the officer, he worked for HPD for 24 years. Now he's been indefinitely suspended after a botched raid. He's been, not even that, he's been indefinitely suspended after a botched raid outside a West Side Kmart in 2002. He's in jail on a $30,000 bond. This guy's a mess. I'm so yeah. glad no one got hurt, uh, as far as terrifying. I can tell in this. It's terrifying. I mean, I know I la- I was like laughing, but this this is terrifying. This is stochastic terrorism. It's the definition of it. Um, I just received word, actually, that he is out on bail. Oy. This is like QAnon stuff, where the guy, you know, went and raided the pizza place because of, he was trying to find the basement and, the, you know, the child sex ring. Yeah. Vigilantes don't understand that law and order doesn't mean you get to do it. Right. <laughs> That's not uh, how, and especially in an works. open carry state. Good lord, that's not how it works. 
Uh, here's an interesting story. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said Wednesday that reports about the details surrounding the poisoning of Alexei Navalny are funny to read, quote unquote, in an apparent reference to a CNN Bellingcat investigation into the poison attack. Now, if you if that sounds familiar, if Sergei Lavrov sounds familiar, he's the buddy that hangs around Sergei Kislyak. Right. He was the one with Sergei Kislyak, Lavrov was, in the Oval Office when Trump told them, I know you I know you attacked our elections. I don't care. We're not going after you for that. He was also in the Oval Office when Trump gave that piece of uh, Israeli intelligence to to the Russians. Uh, and none of the press was allowed in, in the Oval Office during that. And he also said, hey, you know, I fired Comey. Now that Russia thing is not a problem anymore. And that was actually used as evidence against him for obstruction of justice. But that's Sergei Lavrov, and he says it's laughable. He says, we are already used to the fact that the United States and other Western countries simply announce in the media yet another set of accusations against Russia, be it hackers or some kind of sensation about the double or even triple poisoning of Navalny. He, he goes on to say, all this news is funny to read. But it says only one thing, or rather the manner in which the news is presented says only one thing, that our Western partners do not have any ethical standards and lack skill in normal diplomatic work and have unwillingness to comply with the international legal norms when it comes to finding the facts. Well, you guys have a lack of following international legal norms when you throw people out of fourth floor windows, <laughs> right. smash their heads in 60 times, and poison Aye. the Skripals and Navalny with Novichok and give people polonium tea. So maybe, eh, or, you know, that Chernobyl thing, you probably could have handled that better. Uh, you know, I'm just saying. Now let's not split hairs. And, you know, perhaps, you know, if you didn't murder the journalists that you think are funny to read, you know, we might have a, something that we could talk about. It's like a weird spy novel. God, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it is. And on Monday, CNN and the investigative group Bellingcat, because they published an investigative uh, journalism piece uncovering evidence that Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB, formed an elite team specializing in nerve agents that trailed Navalny for years. For years, they trailed him. You know, Navalny, a little reminder, he fell ill during a four-hour flight on August 20th from Tomsk to Moscow. Uh, the plane captain diverted to the city of Omsk and requested medical help. It was later found that the Russian opposition leader had been poisoned by Novichok, and he nearly died. Lavrov's comments mark the first reaction from a Russian official, as authorities have largely refrained from commenting on the findings. The Kremlin canceled their daily press briefings on Tuesday and Wednesday due to a preparation for President Putin's annual news conference on Thursday. Annual news conference. <laughs> I just want to say that. <laughs> we must prepare for the one time he takes press questions. Uh, and do you think, uh, with all the murdered journalists, that they're going to ask hard questions? No. So the EU has since imposed sanctions on several senior officials, including uh, Bortnikov, saying he was responsible for providing support to the persons who carried out or were involved in the poisoning of Navalny. Now, of course, Trump has done nothing, but the EU has imposed sanctions. All right. Guess what? I'm so excited. Time for a little schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Hey, since Rachel Maddow had a schadenfreude segment in her show this week, we thought we'd bring ours back for this special story. Dana, what do you got? Well, I need you to bring out the world's tiniest violin for me, A.G., if you can find one, because I'm Mike looking. Pompeo is very sad. He's very pouty because no one showed up to his super spreader party. Did the Secretary of State have a sads? He did. He had a poopy party because no one showed up because Mike Pompeo decided he was going to invite more than 900 guests to an indoor holiday party hosted by who? No one other 
other than the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. I feel like we should do this as a game show. <laughs> and so tell them what they've won. They've won COVID. Um, and his wife, Susan, uh, basically showed up on Tuesday. Like it was just the secretary and his wife invited 900 people. Only 70 people showed up to this party. So Pompeo, whose name was on the invitation, on the invitation, who was scheduled to speak at the event, actually canceled his speech and tapped a substitute speaker because he decided he was going to let someone else go get COVID, apparently, said two officials. Now, the event is literally set up with like drinks and boxed meals because that's super classy that, you know, so no one gets so no one gets sick. And when there's 900 people with their masks off eating and drinking. Right. Um, you don't want the buffet. Exactly. You don't want people touching everything uh, when they can cough on each other. But Santa had a mask on, which uh, in the photo in the article is creepy as fuck, by the way, as he's walking around <laughs> the tables, uh, just chit-chatting with adults and children because Santa alone isn't scary enough, but a mask Santa Walking up to, to children, I'm sure, is sitting really well. Um, and this was according to officials and the photographs that were taken and obtained by the Washington Post. So the parties have prompted criticism from the American Foreign Service Association, which is a nonpartisan union that represents diplomats, which issued a statement this month calling the department to actually reverse course and model, quote, responsible behavior in accordance with your own guidelines. He's the Secretary of State, so can you please follow your shit? So then Wednesday, Pompeo canceled another party that was supposed to take place Wednesday night, and Pompeo is now, this is, the I don't, okay, listen, I don't wish this on anyone. However, I do feel like this karma just bite, bite me in the ass, because now Pompeo is quarantined for a possible exposure from coronavirus. Yes, so the cancellation of Wednesday's reception, Wednesday's reception, which was reported by CNN, it actually marks the first time a department has reversed course about its party schedule. The only thing is, is we're not really sure if uh, the decision was about health concerns or that the numbers were going to look so low that it may have embarrassed Mike Pompeo and his wife, Susan. <laughs> yeah, they're just fucking embarrassed. 900 invitations, 70 people showed up. Hey, Mike Pompeo, Mueller, she wrote, had a party in D.C. and 400 people showed up. So suck on that. Um, that's right uh, <laughs> <laughs> and ours wasn't free so that's really really sad Mike that's really sad this is for this is for high this is for dignitaries this is for foreign officials this is for people whose husbands wives partners are overseas in very dangerous areas like Iraq and Afghanistan and one of the people mm -hmm. invited was like listen I've got kids. If I get COVID and I'm in the hospital, there's no one here to take care of my family, you selfish fucks. Like, I just don't even understand the thinking behind this. Yeah. And I should say, to be fair, when 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 Mueller, she wrote, went to D.C., it was pre-COVID. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably why we got a good turnout. Uh, well, and it's uh, it was it's you. That's why you got a good turnout. Yeah, I know. I just uh, apples to oranges. You know, I just want to make sure if, 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 if sauce for the goose, if the odds were even, I probably get you know 76 people um anyway thank you for that schadenfreude it was lovely uh, not so much the quarantine covid scare that's scary but the <laughs> i mean at least people are finally <laughs> pulling their head out i'm canceling my speech trump trump it reminds me of trump's christmas party when he found out he lost 
to or Thanksgiving holiday party or something. He found out he lost that night and he was like, I'm not coming downstairs to say hello. I'm not coming out of my room. What a bunch of cowards. My diaper's full and I'm staying in my room. That's what it's what I do. So it's fair. All right, everybody stick with us because we have Joyce Vance next. You don't want to miss it. She's incredible. And then after that, we'll be talking to David Weissman. The sound quality on David Weissman is a little wonky because of some technical uh, issues that I was having. But, you know, it's such a great interview. I hope it's I hope it's good. And uh, I hope you love it. And then after that, we'll do the good news. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by the most delicious thing ever in the universe. It's called Magic Spoon. Since I was just a tiny AG, my favorite food has always been cereal. Not just for breakfast either. I would eat it all day, dry, or have it with milk. And I want cereal, just I want to sit and watch cartoons and have cereal. It's like, it never ends, especially with the new Animaniacs. But to be honest, now as an adult, I've mostly given up cereal because of all the carbs and guilt and sugar and chemicals. But I am excited to tell you about Magic Spoon. It is so tasty, you will not believe it's made without all the sugar, carbs, or guilt, and it's healthy. It's actually healthy. It is so good, you will not believe it is healthy. As Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value, as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast, and I agree, it's so delicious. They amazingly have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's super delicious. With uh, four amazing flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, you get all of the nostalgia wrapped up in there. It's delicious. It tastes incredible. Uh, I snack on it all day. I eat it dry. I have it in the morning with milk. Then I drink the milk. It's delicious. It just takes me right back to my childhood. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack. Try them all. Try all four. Be sure to use our promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's risk-free. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. As we know, Bill Barr is on his way out as hundreds of people lobby the White House directly for a pardon. And Trump weighs the appointment of two special counsels, one for Hunter Biden and one for non-existent 2020 voter fraud. And joining me today to discuss Bill Barr and his exit is former U.S. attorney and professor of law at the University of Alabama, Joyce Vance. Joyce, thanks for speaking with us today. Always good to be with you. It is a pleasure to see you again. It's been a while. So thank you for joining me. And I wanted to go over this piece that you penned for MSNBC saying, here's the opening line here, quote, recently resigned Attorney General William Barr left the Justice Department just like he came in with a lie. His lack of honesty and steadfast refusal to understand his duty to serve justice in the people, not the president's personal and political agenda, will be the legacy of his lifetime in office. So you say he left just like... He came in with a lie. Which lies are you talking about? You know, it's such a bizarre thing that you have to ask that question about a sitting attorney general, right? We should just all take a moment and let that seep into our consciousness. But Bill Barr started by lying to the American people with a straight face about what the Mueller report's conclusions were. And he left apparently still pandering to this president about the existence of voter fraud in the 2020 election. He references in his resignation letter, you know, thanks for giving me the chance to update you this morning on voter fraud, which is, of course, a myth. Yeah. And I I wonder, you know, a lot of people are wondering if he was if he was fired or if he resigned or if he was fired, resigned, which seems to happen a lot in the Trump administration. 
Uh, and if that letter was part of it, like, you know, I'll let you go peacefully if you write me a letter saying these specific things. But, you know, I also wonder what it was that Barr didn't maybe didn't want to do when he you know, when he's leaving early or if it was just t- uh, Trump's decision. I mean, these these are probably things we're never going to know. You know, maybe we'll know at some point in time. I mean, I think that we could speculate endlessly, but I'm not sure it's all that profitable. So now I'm going to speculate. Um, <laughs> it seems really unusual to me that an attorney general would leave a couple days before Christmas to spend more time with their family since DOJ traditionally closes down for a couple of weeks at the end of the year. Uh, that rings a little bit hollow. The timing is really bizarre for an attorney general to be leaving voluntarily. But I'm not sure it really matters, right? Did, did Trump fire Barr essentially because Barr wouldn't play enough pool on voter fraud or wouldn't use the Hunter Biden investigation for political purposes? Or is Barr trying to disassociate himself from Trump, even at this late stage, and do something to try to salvage what little he can of his reputation? Doesn't really matter to me either way. His tenure speaks for itself. It speaks loud and clear. Um, And there's just nothing, nothing that can resurrect Bill Barr's decency or reputation. Yeah, I think the only thing that just concerns me a little is was there something that or a couple of things that maybe Bill Barr wasn't didn't want to be party to? What are those things and will they happen now? Uh, and again, let me just say how cowardly of right. Barr, if that's the case, the man who could actually provide a guardrail at this point in time, who could maybe stop bad things or disclose bad things and shine some light on them. If his response to fear of what's coming is to walk away then that's bad on him. Yeah, it, it doesn't help his legacy at all. And so if, if he doesn't want to be associated with some of the pardons that are coming up, perhaps, or a self-pardon, we've often speculated here on this show, at least, that I imagine Trump told Barr to write him an Office of Legal Counsel memo saying that a president could pardon himself. And Barr was like, no, bro. But, you know, who knows what it is? But yeah, you're right. It's entirely cowardly. And you brought up a minute ago, the Mueller report, the lie he came in with. And there were several parts to this lie. The first one we learned about pretty quickly, which is the one you talked about, and we learned about it because Mueller went to paper and wrote him a letter and said, you have mischaracterized. You didn't publish the the summaries we wrote for you to publish that you asked for. Uh, But later on, we found out uh, through the court system and FOIA requests uh, through Judge Reggie Walton that some of the redactions that Bill Barr made to the Mueller report were inappropriate and also were meant to downplay the scope of the attack uh, of the 2016 elections by Russia. Can you talk a little bit about that? So Judge Walton did something that's remarkable for any sitting judge. And look, you know this, I really hate it when judges are referred to as Republicans and Democrats, because I think by and large, most judges um, sort of ignore who puts them on the bench once they get there. But it is worth noting that Reggie Walton was put on the bench by Republicans only to say that he's not someone who's immediately in the tank for Democrats. That's not his leaning, right? And he actually goes on record talking about Bill Barr's credibility and saying that what he did in regard to the Mueller report calls it into question. And that's pretty stunning language for a federal judge to use about a sitting attorney general. I feel sure he did not do that lightly and probably did it as a last resort, given the interaction he was having with government lawyers in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was also shocked about his comments regarding Flynn's pardon and and how Sullivan should perhaps consider 
the validity of it. Uh, I that was shocking as well, coming from a federal judge from the bench. And like you said, it never came up until Trump was in office who appointed what judge. Uh, we talked a little bit about it with the Supreme Court about conservative and liberal judges. That's uh, you know expected. Uh, but coming from him, that was also a pretty big surprise. I think that's right. Uh, and, you know, it's not like Bill Barr made a mistake or early on in his time in office exercised bad judgment once. It was a feature, not a bug of Barr's time in office. Yeah, 100 percent. And finally, uh, I want to talk about there's, you know, your writing over since, you know, since Bill Barr has been here has been very consistent since Bill Barr came uh, onto the scene and, and was confirmed by the Senate. And you say here in your piece that, that he will go down in history as the worst attorney general. You say it flatly. And and that reminds me of, of a piece that you wrote, um, not the one that you reference in here, because there is a piece you reference in here that you wrote when, when Barr was going, you know, circulating that memo and trying to audition for attorney general by saying that the president can't obstruct justice while the president was obstructing justice. But, um, you know, and you you had written that piece, but you, you wrote a piece for Time magazine. And I remember it because you opened with a tweet of mine about nobody trusting the Justice Department is doing justice. I think it had to do with uh, Epstein's death. Uh, uh, and I said, whether you think it was nefarious or, uh, you know, he died by suicide, whatever it is, nobody trusts Bill Barr. And that's the problem. And I think you've had that consistent thread throughout, wouldn't you say? I think so. And because it's not just a, a Bill Barr thing, something that you're taught as a young prosecutor is that the integrity of your office is worth more than winning any one case. That as an agency, DOJ or individual U.S. attorney's offices cannot credibly go to the community and talk about crime and prosecute cases and ask juries for conviction unless your conduct and your reputation is above reproach. That's why we so often hear prosecutors talking about avoiding not just actual impropriety, but even the appearance of impropriety. Um, you know, Jim Comey used to say that DOJ's integrity was like a reservoir, that it was very, very slow to fill with water, took a long time, and just the tiniest of pinpricks could cause all of that water to leak out. So it was critical that we guard our integrity. I guess that's somewhat ironic in hindsight, but um, it is nonetheless the truth. And the real problem with Bill Barr in my judgment and what slates him to go down as the worst attorney general is that not only did he not worry about the appearance of impropriety, right? That's what normal leaders at DOJ worry about. Bill Barr engaged in actual impropriety. And then he just shrugged and grinned and said, so what? He was not concerned about, you know, whether it was the Mike Flynn case, the Roger Stone case. He just took whatever action he needed to take to pr protect the president and his interests and never seemed to worry very much about the American people or the institution he was supposedly running. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if he needs a pardon. I wonder if he's going to get a pardon. I mean, I, we could sit here and speculate 
whether or not he committed any crimes. But I feel with this news story that just came out about Atkinson, the intelligence community inspector general, and the criminal referrals and the the letters to the White House, it seems like there's there was some obstruction of justice going on there. And I know Trump dragged Barr's name into it, and Barr got upset about that because I think it may have implicated him. Again, that's all speculation. But I do you think do you think he's going to get a pardon? I think it's very easy to look at conduct that government officials engage in and to be horrified by it. But I think, um, you know, folks who who are not prosecutors, who don't appreciate how demanding it is to look at the criminal code and identify all of the elements of an offense and then line those elements up with evidence that's both admissible in court and that adds up to proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It's really easy to say, oh, he, you know, he committed obstruction of justice, when sometimes what we're really saying is that person did something awful. It might be lawful, but it's awful. So I wouldn't want to prejudge um, what crimes Bill Barr may or may not have committed without looking at the evidence. I don't think that that's public domain, you know, with, with President Trump. We've seen a lot of public domain um, evidence, and it's been, um, I think, uh, permissible for people to make those kind of assessments. I'm not really comfortable with doing that with Bill Barr, but even if his conduct is lawful, it's awful. Right, because not only do you have to get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt, it has to stand up to appeal or you shouldn't make the indictment. And then, of course, if you're just talking about only obstruction of justice, there's those three elements. And then to meet nexus of a judicial proceeding, what judicial proceeding was there, and and then the intent piece. I mean, there were 10 instances of possible obstruction of justice laid out by Mueller, but only, f- I think, four or five of them met all three. Uh, so there were there was definitely, like you said, awful behavior, but not unlawful. I mean, something people need to understand is that there is not one crime in the federal criminal code, obstruction of justice. There are a number of different statutes covering different sorts of situations with somewhat similar, but also at times different elements. Um, And not everything that you know is admissible evidence in court. Speculation is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So I know when I say these sorts of things, it can piss people off, right? Because folks have strong feelings about these people. It's important to remember that we are a rule of law country. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. We should afford that right to everyone. Even if we vehemently dislike their conduct, we should let the rule of law work. That's what the last four years have been about, a president who was not committed to the rule of law, an attorney general who was willing to do disservice to the rule of law. We should all recommit right now, even if it means sometimes there are results that are not the results that we want. We should recommit to the rule of law. Mm -hmm, Which I think we learned during the Mueller investigation, particularly with Don Jr. Um, It just didn't meet that corrupt intent. Um, But, you know. Ugh. But that's, hey, them, you know, like you say, them's the rules. And that is why we have things for attorneys general and presidents like impeachment, where Congress determine, determines what a high crime and misdemeanor is. And, I, you know, I'm, I don't know maybe if it weren't as late or if Trump had won another. Ugh, I shudder to think. But if he had, won, <laughs> he had won in November, maybe that would be something that they would pursue. Trump certainly doesn't lack for um, impeachable offenses. He seems to commit them like some people eat candy mints. <laughs> Right. But even, yeah, even Bill Barr. Uh, But thank you so much for this. And everybody check out the piece uh, you wrote for MSNBC. We love seeing you uh, on MSNBC. We appreciate you. Thanks very much. Joyce Vance. Nice to be with you. Have a good holiday.
you as well. Everybody, we'll be right back with David Weissman. Please excuse the audio quality. We had some technical issues, but the conversation is worth hearing, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. 2020 has been a very difficult year for a lot of us. The anxiety and stress has been unbelievable. And the most important thing to remember is you don't have to face it alone. If you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living a happy life, I recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's licensed professional counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. You know, I've had my own fights with PTSD, and I know how important it is to seek help rather than trying to do it by yourself. And BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide, and they have a broad range of experts in their counselor network that might not be locally available in your area. But because you can log on from anywhere, anytime, BetterHelp solves that problem. And you can send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions, too. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselor if it's not working out. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aids available. So visit their website and read some testimonials, like BetterHelp user ME, who says, Natalie is wonderful and so compassionate. I've never felt judged by her. She has helped me take some major breakthroughs that I could not see myself. So I appreciate her style of therapy and kindness. Thank you, Natalie. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, uh, we're going to speak again to a friend of mine, somebody I've been working closely with, and somebody who is a former Republican, not just Republican, but Trump Republican, who uh, became, I believe, a Warren supporter and then full-on Joe Biden supporter and is now working very hard to help elect Ossoff and Warnock in Georgia. And uh, I hope everyone, please, welcomes with Open arms and love, David Weissman. How are you? Good, E.G. How are you? I am so, so good uh, today, and I'm so happy to talk to you because this week we've been having kind of a theme on our show about nonviolent communication and kindness and empathy and cults and, you know, how to, how to talk to people on the other side. And if you could remind everybody what it was, um, because I know that if anyone follows your Twitter account, they're aware that you've been posting some of your old tweets about from when you were a Trump supporter to kind of educate and draw attention to the fact that this was how you used to think and and what sort of pulled you out of that thought process. And it was actually empathy and kindness that that won the day. Can you remind everyone what happened? So, um, well, Trump supporters, you know, as you know, are very, you know, troll, trolling type and, you know, and celebrities was a target of ours because celebrities normally, you know, speak out and they speak for rights of other people. And so a Trump supporter, um, they believe when he is an infringement on their rights. You know, a lot of it has to do with fear indoctrination, right-wing media, um, propaganda, everything like that. So what this was during a time where conservatives were saying they're being shadow banned and, on Twitter, and that is not a lot of engagements, likes, retweets. So for some odd reason, I, I trolled, uh, you know, Sarah Silverman and Stephen Colbert. Sarah actually responded, and normally, because and, and that was a surprise, because normally you would get a block or it would turn into an argument, name calling, which she replied in kindness, explaining about Callow's humor. Um, and, you know, then I was kind of surprised by that. And then I thought, you know, why doesn't she like Trump? You know, you know, she's Jewish, I'm Jewish. 
he's clearly pro-Israel, right? <laughs> so um, she told me why, and she actually asked me why did I like Trump. And I, I, I don't know if I really talked about what, you know, that moment actually did for me, because, you know, she, you know, like I said, celebrities were like the enemy. They're part of this cabal George Soros, you know, of George Soros, you know, and um, and the fact that she asked me why I supported Trump without any um, name calling or, or insults, you know, that's what began the dialogue that you know I've often talked about. Um, so yeah, and, and I and I think you know, conservatives, you know, I, I look back, you know, especially with the election of Joe Biden, you know, I and. I remember how I was when I was a conservative when President Obama won his election, the fear that we, you know, a lot of us had at the time. And I, I and I think, you know, you know, reaching out to people and showing, hey, there's something to be afraid of, you know, um, being a Democrat, you know, standing up for the world values and asking what our, you know, what their concerns are. Um, and I and that's why I actually really believe in Joe Biden's message. Of trying to unite the country and, and having these conversations, learning about liberal values, learning about, you know, liberals don't want to take their guns away or, you know, they can't, they actually do care about the military, different things like that, you know, that breaks a lot of stereotypes about liberals. And, you know, and, you know, with me personally, I just happen to fall in love with what a Democrat, you know, stood for, and that's what won me over. And, and I think about it too is, when Sarah talked with me, when other Democrats talked with me, there was no pressure of stopping support for Trump or no pressure of becoming a Democrat. You know, they were just having conversations. And I, I think that's what really did it for me, just talking about issues, um, being heard, realizing, you know, hey, conservatives are being heard. And that's, I think, why a big reason why Trump was elected was picked because uh, like I said, conservatives didn't think they were being heard when Obama was president, and so and Trump, I think, used that and exploited that, um, you know, very exact thing. And that's why he was saying a lot of the stuff like, "Oh, war on Christmas," or, you know, or um, socialism, radical leftness. So he was saying stuff that conservatives weren't concerned about, and that's why they were easily hooked onto him. Yeah, I, I think sometimes you know, uh, at least a lot of conservatives that I've spoken to can't believe that their opinions are actually in the minority. They aren't not being heard. Their opinions are just in the minority. And I think it's hard for a lot of people who aren't used to being in the minority to be in the minority. It's just sort of a, it's kind of a, a, a foreign thing uh, to, to believe or to think like, well, everyone thinks like me. Everyone I know thinks like me. So you, you, we must not, People must not be hearing us. We must be shadow. It's shadow banning, or it's it's the the media, or whatever it is. And and I think it's it's so great that you were able to have those conversations with Sarah Silverman, and then more and more Democrats were willing to to speak with you about it. And I, you know, that kind of empathy and kindness is so important. But on the flip side, sometimes we need to put our foot down. And you did that in an incredible open letter on Demcast to Joseph Epstein. And Joseph Epstein is the Wall Street Journal op-ed author who called Dr. Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, kiddo and said that her calling herself a doctor was comical and that, you know, if you can't deliver a baby or if you've never delivered a baby, you're not a real doctor. 
And I can you tell us uh, for a minute what prompted you to write this this open letter? Because, you know, like I said, there's a time and place for empathy and kindness, but there is also a time and place to push back against misogyny like that. Well, I, I have learned, um, I've learned a lot in these past couple of years, you know, talking you know, with different people, talking with allies, how to be an ally for uh, people of color, women, and different things like that. And I, and, and I know being someone in that mindset, and sometimes I think it takes like, a, you know, a man-to-man kind of uh, conversation or, you know, or uh, being held accountable because you know a guy like that is not going to listen to women. You know, obviously, if he's going to degrade her um, education, her many years of her work, and all of her accomplishments, call her kiddo. So I felt like as a guy who does have a platform, you know, being an ally for you know Captain Joe Biden and women, and show that hey, men can stand up for, you know, men can be allies, and that's why I felt, you know, I had you know, that I had it, you know the platform they use to say, hey, that's not okay. And you know, I, I definitely had no problem giving him a piece of my mind when I thought about his article and I hope I got some for sure. Um and I and I want people to know, hey, there are men who who understand and who can't stand up for what's right. Yeah. And I think that's that's why I wrote that letter to stand up for what's right. Yeah, and you even said um, in in the letter, because of all that I've learned in these last couple of years and given the privilege that I have as a white man, I will use it to inform you, Joseph Epstein, of what you did wrong. <laughs> and then and you explained it. You laid it out. And and I, my favorite is the, the sign-off um, where uh, you say, I demand that you and the Wall Street Journal apologize to our soon-to-be first lady and call her by her name along with the title of doctor because to you she is dr biden you got that kiddo <laughs> i thought that was a great yeah. sign off <laughs> yeah I, I can be very uh, blunt and in, in, in my approach and you're right i mean there are times where you're empathetic and understanding and there are times where you gotta you know be forward i mean he's he has he's in a position i mean being an editor for the wall street journal i mean can you imagine the good that he could do but no, he decided to write an article of, you know, you know totally disrespecting our first lady, you know, you know first lady, you know, soon to be first lady. And it was like, you know, that's that's not okay. And, you know, he had to, you know, I felt like he had to be dealt with. Um, and, you know, writing an open letter, I felt this was a good, good way to hold him accountable to that. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some empathy language in here too, which I, you know, I'm learning from uh, our friend Tony Scruggs. You know, you say, hey, perhaps you... Um, don't see what you've done wrong. You know, I don't know you well enough. It wasn't an attempt to gain attention. Maybe something he needs is for, he hasn't worked in academia for since 2000, for 18 years. And so maybe he feels like he isn't being heard. Uh, and this goes right into what you were saying about Trump supporters and conservatives feeling like they're not being heard. It's like, maybe you don't have a PhD. Maybe you're not a doctor. Maybe you feel that you aren't being heard. And, and one of your needs that you need to have met is that you feel important and valuable. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's just not um, effective to approach someone uh, with that tone. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I would be really interested to see a conversation between Joseph Epstein and Tony Scruggs. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be awesome. Tony is a very, very awesome guy. And I have been to a session of his. And I think people, people can definitely learn a lot from him, especially being, um, you know, learning about empathy and, you know, I think it's amazing what he does. 
Yeah, he's a master communicator. And every time I talk to him, I just feel so much better. About, like, I'm like, oh, my, because he always wants to know what I need. And from the conversation, it's just he's an, an incredible guy. Um, finally, I want to talk about this. You have decided uh, to run for office. Uh, can you tell us about that? What what pro- what pu- what pushed you to do that? And where are you running? How can we learn about this? Um, well, I think what really pushed me is um, the 126 Republicans that are uh, trying to overturn the election. And, you know, one of them is in our district, uh, on my district in Brevard County, uh, Posey. And, you know, and, and it feels like the way the Republicans do this is they find every loophole that they can assault our democracy where they can not get in trouble for it. So I guess like, you know, you know, our, our friend uh, Ben Jackson made a good point that, you know, the best way to do it is like elections, um, you know, both them out. And so that was like, you know what, you know, I'm a veteran and I want to uphold the constitution. And so why not? And I spoke with our chair uh, yesterday and she, she was very honest about it. It's going to be an uphill battle. But, you know, the worst comes the worst. You know, I make, uh, I'm bringing democratic presence in our county and, or I win. So, I mean, why, you know, why not give it a shot? Yeah, because you're in a deep red county, right? Uh, and it's, it's Posen, you said, who is your current? Posen? Yeah. So Posen? Yeah, Posey got it. And and so that's yeah, that's a really deep red district. But you're absolutely right. You know, I talked to so many, you know, up to, in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election. I talked to so many Democrats running in ruby red districts where usually there's not even a Democratic challenger, uh, which means that that the ideas on on that side are just never even heard right so you're right it, there's it's a it's a win-win scenario even if you lose you will bring those ideas that empathy um the support of the constitution and what it stands for to the people you'll bring that voice that is that is missing and also let people know that hey you know democrats are not the enemy of america you know they are not here to take away your rights and you know let people understand what you know what it means to be pro-choice what it means to um whether it's like reform or defund the police you know or, i know that's a very t- touchy issue with republicans for sure but to help give them clarity on what these two um words mean compared to the spin from right-wing pundits mm-hmm. so I, I think this one you know i think this will help out a lot you know even if i don't win um to our community and to get people talking because you know i with my own journey, my own experience, I really am a strong believer in that message for Joe Biden wanting to, you know, heal our country. Just, you know, just to talk to each other, you know? I mean, the great thing about America is you can have so many different ideas and so many different beliefs and you have a lot to have that. And I think that, you know, we got to a point where people forgotten that and, you know, I'm going to help, you know, bring that idea again. Yeah, it's absolutely a wonderful idea and I will support you. And, um, you. Yeah, of course, a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm so, and thank you for your service too. You're a veteran. I'm a veteran. Did it surprise you to find out there were Democrat, Democrat, like veterans that were Democrats? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah. I mean, I was only impression that it was always conservatives. Uh, you know, when I got out, and when you're in the military, you really don't talk about, well, you know, you don't talk about politics in the military. I mean, you're always got to be professional, and um, you know, no matter who the president is. So, and I got really politically involved after I got out, and. 
yeah, it was always a mindset that it was, you know, GOP always said, support the troops, support the troops, support the troops. And I found out, hey, there's a Democrat that created a GI Bill. Like, what? Get out of town, right? And I'm using that right now, actually. And so, you know, different things like that. And, you know, a lot of Democrats serve and, you know, um, immigrants that serve and they're getting, you know, deported and they're in a veteran. And then that's like wondering, like, why, why if Republicans say they support the troop, why, why are they not going to need to support that veteran? So, you know, different things like that that I've learned that it was like, wow, uh, I changed my worldview. Well, Republicans like to support um, people, groups of people who can't speak about politics, whether it's federal government employees or the troops or the unborn. Um, they they those are the groups they choose. And it's because those groups can't say we don't support you, whether it's because of the Hatch Act uh, or because they aren't born yet. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Um, so uh, I appreciate your service. Thank you. And I'm excited for you to run for office. I know it's a ruby red district, but it, it, you're going to get the word out. And, you know, God, it would be so great if you could win. And uh, everyone follow. I want everyone to follow you on Twitter. Can you tell people what your Twitter handle is? Sure. You can follow me at David M. Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Nebbia. Taking your showering experience to the next level. It is like a spa day. I love a good shower. It's my favorite time of the day. I have some peace of quiet. I have My best ideas come in the shower. They do. And I get to relax. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about Nebbia. It's backed by some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Tim Cook. And it's designed by former Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers who spent years researching and developing a superior shower experience that, gets this, saves water. And it's anything but ordinary. The Nebbia enhances your shower experience, and it takes it to a whole different level. It's like a steam room, like combined with an invigorating shower. After a Nebbia shower, I feel very relaxed and recharged. It's like a spa day. And the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower is Nebbia's most advanced shower yet. It's got twice the coverage, half the water usage of standard shower heads. And despite using 45% less water, its spray is 81% more powerful than the competition. Nebbia's atomized droplets rinse shampoo and conditioner out of even the thickest, longest hair. It can be easily installed in 15 minutes. If you can change a light bulb, you can install Nebbia by Moen. Nebbia balances functionality with beauty as well. They have four premium finishes, uh, white and chrome. They have spot-resistant nickel, which is what I have for my mid-century modern stuff. Uh, they also have matte black and black and chrome. And they offer accessories like shower shelves and shower curtains, which pair perfectly with the shower stunning design. The Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower starts at just $1.99. And for Daily Beans listeners, we have a deal for you. The first 100 people to use the code BEANS at Nebbia.com will get 15% off site-wide. Nebbia rarely does deals like this. It's a great deal to jump on. So go to Nebbia.com slash beans. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash beans to check out what they have to offer. Again, the first 100 people to use the code beans when checking out will save 15%. That's Nebbia.com slash beans and use that code beans to save 15% off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Okay, Dana, so we have a lot of good news here. We've got some photos. We've got some corrections. This is going to be good. Uh, got a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to kick this one off uh, because this is on me, and I, I want to address it. 
But this is from DJ He Him They Them. Hey y'all, longtime listener, first patron here. Uh, I'm glad to finally be in a position to support Muller She Wrote and now the Daily Beans. I've played a huge role in getting me politically educated, engaged, caucusing, donating, and volunteering. Caucusing, awesome. Now for the correction. As a gay NB person, uh, a non-binary person, I am happy to say that Buttigieg is not the first openly gay cabinet member. Rick Grinnell was. A Trump appointee being first only makes me happy because I immediately think of the young LGBT family who will learn early to not have politically expedient identity politics as the basis for their pride, but to raise their personal standard for heroes to those who aren't or to, to those who are servant leaders with the conviction to do the right thing and help people even when it's hard. Buddha judge, in my opinion, doesn't meet the bill for celebration either, but nonetheless, I appreciate Alice and Dana, the Leguminati, love that nickname, for making a point to celebrate people from all walks of life. DJ, thank you for this correction. I was very careful when I chose my words. Uh, if confirmed, would be the first cabinet secretary openly LGBTQ. So DNI, while it's a cabinet level position, is not a secretary position in the cabinet. Not one of the, uh, I think there's 12 or 14 secretary positions, although it is a DNI position. And um, Rick Grinnell was not Senate confirmed. So I should have added would be the first Senate confirmed instead of if confirmed by the Senate would be the first. So I appreciate that. I will definitely watch my words more carefully next time because Rick Grinnell, openly gay, did serve uh, as, the, as the DNI and was appointed by Trump. There you have it. Thank you very much. All right. We're moving on to some good news here. We've got Erica pronoun she and her, a G with Muller, then the beans. You have given me the words and therefore a voice to be a better ally. I've always supported women and the LGBTQ community, but throughout these hours and hours of wisdom, I have learned support comes in so many different ways. Some days it's with money. Some days it's a simple action or words and other. It is being unapologetically aggressive. Okay. I think I was going through the motions, but active in your support and active in your choices instead of letting it just come to you is so important. Support when it is convenient is really only a fraction of what is important. Support when it is unexpected and in the face of opposition is key to make any meaningful change. Amen. Okay. Some good news. My husband is a traveling ballroom dance instructor and we own a ballroom dance studio. As you can imagine... Yes, I love watching them. As you can imagine, not the ideal business model during a pandemic. True. It's, that's when it turns very like dirty dancing. Like this is my space and that is your space. Uh, we, <laughs> we lost thousands of dollars from traveling competition contracts just in the first two months alone to mention the income from classes and dances at our studio. My God, I can only imagine our community has been hit hard these past few years with the first campfire and then more recently North complex fire. But through it all, we have been a safe space for love and joy through dance. Not being able to be there physically, our community in a time such as this is heart-wrenching. We've always provided healing through dance, and we are determined uh, to be here after this pandemic to do just that. We've been working so hard to keep our dream location afloat to provide that safe space once again when we are able to come back together safely someday. But this is supposed to be good news. We got a grant the same week. Yes. The same week we were going to have, sorry if I got hot there on the mic, I was excited. The same week we thought we were going to have to close our doors was the same week we got the check in the mail. 
Now, we don't know how long all of this will last, but with this money, we'll be able to make it that much longer and believe in the end we'll be there for our community and we'll get through all of this together. I do want to take this time to encourage people not only to support your local business, but please remember the arts. When things are safe again, go out and dance. Partner dancing is good for your body and your brain for all ages. Most partner dance classes at studios do not require you to have a partner. Gender doesn't matter. You choose to lean, uh, learn the leader or follower part. Also fun to learn both. Anyone rotates and everyone dances with everyone. Go with a friend or alone. It's a great way to meet people. I get, uh, I met my husband through dance in the past 15 years, know dozens of couples who met through dance. There are so many amazing partner dance studios out there. So please look up your local partner dance studios and support them when you have a chance. Attaches a photo of my son and me before lockdown at one of our late night dances. Thank you again for everything you do in small ways and in bigger ones. What a great picture. First of all, I know. Look at his face. (laughs) That's great. I love this. Yeah, I always wanted to take ballroom dancing. My favorite, favorite ballroom dance is Marjorie Reynolds and Fred Astaire when Fred Astaire pretends to be drunk on New Year's Eve in the movie Holiday Inn, which is a whole... That is a fabulous clip. Uh, which, But there's a lot of horrible ra- racist shit in that movie that you True. should probably fast forward through. But that dance is amazing. And when he does the 4th of July dance with the firecrackers, mm-hmm. ugh, it blows me away. Uh, no pun intended. All right, next up from Anne <laughs> Perone. Sometimes I have the dumbest dad jokes unintentionally. I think they're in my DNA. Um, Anne, pronouns she and her. Hello, Patriot Pals. Monday, what a day. Biden wins the Electoral College. The first vaccine is given. Barr resigns. Damn, the stars are truly aligning. The tears flowed several times. I thought you should know your podcast brought me to a happy to happy tears as well. Let me explain. I've been writing postcards for campaigns for two years. I've written for high-profile campaigns, city council campaigns, and everything in between. I really enjoy learning about the needs of different parts of, of the different parts of our country, and it makes me feel a connection with fellow Americans. So about a year ago, I was writing cards for Jill Karofsky. Oh, yes, she was running for Wisconsin Supreme Court. The organizer of the postcard writing campaign said this would be an important position if the presidential election was close. Her opponent was an extreme right-wing nutjob Republican, and the chances of Judge Jill winning were slim. This motivated me to write over 50 postcards for this campaign. And then Judge Jill won. So today, I seriously scream-cried when your show reported that in a flipping 4-3 decision, the Wisconsin Supreme Court threw out yet another Trump lawsuit. You went on to say Judge Jill Karofsky totally blasted this ridiculous lawsuit as purely racist. I can almost hear Jordan saying, fuck yeah, at this part. <laughs> like I said, I've written for tons of campaigns, some successful, some satisfying. Doug Jones, 2016, Connor Lamb, Katie Porter. Some not as successful and disappointing. Beto, Amy McGrath. To be honest, many I wrote for didn't even know I didn't even know the result. Two days ago, I found out I could look up and see how many postcards I've written in the campaign. To date, I've written 915. I had no idea. Of course, right now I'm busy writing for John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock. So far, 50 cards. I can pump out 55 more. I would like to hit the thousand mark and be one step closer to taking power from Moscow Mitch. Talk about satisfying. You might appreciate knowing every time I finish a card, I sign it and say, fuck you, Mitch. <laughs> Uh, There are many things I've learned from writing so many campaigns. Here are a few things I've learned. There is power in numbers. Just a few percentage points can make a huge difference. Losses hurt for a while, but losses still register voters for the next campaign. So pick up your head and march on. Every campaign matters. School board, corporation commissions, and county supervisor positions are training grounds for state and federal campaigns. Build the team and contest every Republican in every election. 
Writing the simple cards makes me love my country even more. We have one amazingly wonderful, diverse country. If anyone's interested in writing postcards, email join at TonyTheDemocrat.org. T-O-N-Y, TonyTheDemocrat.org. So thanks for all of your hard work sharing the news and the mainstream media that they pass over, like a badass Judge Karofsky. By the way, I reported on Judge Karofsky several times in the lead-up to the election. Love her. Maybe a judgeship is in your future, Dr. Gill. You would be one badass judge. Maybe like a TV judge. <laughs> Wishing you all a happy and healthy 2021. I added the maybe a TV judge. That was <laughs> Much love, Ann Richards. Trying to make my namesake proud, Texas Governor Ann Richards, that is. Proof that it's possible to turn Texas blue. I love Ann Richards. Remember Ann Richards? She's fabulous. Yeah, she was wonderful. Yeah. Um, all right. This next good news comes from Rebecca, pronouns she and her. My mom was a wonderful woman who loved her family and her family heirloom. She died eight years ago. This past summer, my child and I moved into a small house and finally had room to keep some of her treasures. Fortunately, I also finally had the funds to pay for them to be restored. First, I had my mom's 1820s four-poster doll bed restored. Uh, my cat Yoda likes sleeping in it. Just today, my mom's beautiful 1920s desk was returned from being repaired. It's beautiful, I can imagine. Being a good caretaker of this treasure helps me feel close to my mom and previous generations. I also feel a hopeful link to the future generations who I hope will treasure these items like my mom and I have. I feel a little guilty to be frivolously spending money on antiques, but I'm assuaging my guilt by buying presents for children on local angel trees. I've included pictures of the finished desk. The doll bed. And for pod pet tax, there's a picture of Obi-Wan, the supplicant. Yeah, the supplicant being regally ignored uh, by Yoda, the supreme ruler of the house, and another of Obi-Wan trying his paw at being a game master. Wow, look at that gorgeous. Oh, man. That really is beautiful furniture. Well done. Oh. Uh, Oh. Here's the cat. One of them's playing dice. (laughs) Yahtzee. Look at the little bed. Oh, it's a cat bed. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's hilarious. What's that? Was it for a doll? Like what? Literally a doll bed. I thought it was like a different name for a, a big person bed, oh. but that looks like literally a doll's bed. That's a cat bed. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a cat bed. Next up from Philip. Hi, it's Schadenfreudig. Great show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Philip. That's uh, that's the. I'm All right, ass- I'll take the next one. I'm Just assuming. The, I'm assuming the German. <laughs> That reminds me of the trading places. It's my turn to drive. No, you drove the shipment uh, earlier. Yeah, but that was for like, I backed it up three feet. Well, you take turns. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. It's my turn to drive. (laughs) It's Al Franken. (laughs) Um, But anyway, this is one I had asked. Is there a German word for schadenfreude-y? And apparently it's schadenfreudig. Neat. There you go. All right. Uh, I'll do the next one. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter. Okay. <laughs> Pronouns she and her. Anonymous. Hi, AG and the ladies from the Beans. Longtime listener, first time caller. I'm writing in for a good quick correction to another listener's good news story from Wednesday. Ooh, we're correcting each other now. Uh, December 16th pod. I grew up in Nebraska and it was so awesome to hear another Nebraska Beanian give a shout out to our amazing state. I absolutely agree with everything another legit AG said. All the props to Nebraska Dems and Precious. The moment when she cast her votes for Joe and Kamala was moving and beautiful. My beef comes with another legit AG's description of our capital as beautiful and unique. The inside is really pretty cool, but it looks like a dick. (laughs) Like, a lot like a dick. (laughs) It's 14 stories tall, wide at the very bottom, and then a long skinny tower topped with a golden cap. And I kid you not, a statue called the Sower. (laughs) 
sower is sowing seeds for farming, but honestly, do you really want to put a guy sowing his seed on top of a building that looks like a dick? Really? Anyway, that's all I've got to say for now. Thank you for everything you do, for the laughs, the cries, the swears, the verbal descriptions of pod pet pictures, which I find quite delightful. I have no pod pet, but I here I attach a picture of our great dickish capital building filled with a few dicks and a lot of really amazing people. Special shout out to Kate Bowles, Megan Hunt, Ernie Chambers, Patty Lansing, uh, Patty Lansing Brooks, and more. Love to all of you and your loved ones too. I hope you have a great, uh, as great a day as can be. And yeah, there, yeah, I guess, it, yeah. You're gonna have to be the authority on this one, Ag. Does that look like a dick? <laughs> Pretty phallic. Because <laughs> it to me, the only thing that resembles is like a dog's lipstick when it gets excited, like the the top of it. <laughs> I don't know the. Yeah, and the statue on top is called the sower. Oh. I'm having a, a actually a nauseous feeling right now. I'm going to go ahead and scroll past the picture. Yeah, that's the last one. There's nowhere else to scroll. You're just going to have to keep God looking at it. darn it. <laughs> all right. We'll put it in the newsletter along with all the other links and photos that we've talked about. I love that we talk about photos on a podcast. It's just so great. Reminds me of that Mitch Hedberg joke. Uh, he's like, we're recording the CD tonight. It makes me want to do jokes that you have to see. Like, whoa, look at that guy's shirt. That's bananas. Oh, holy shit. Check out that guy's hair. That's fucked up. <laughs> it's just so fucking great. And people are like, all right, I don't know what the hell they're talking yes. about. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. So in honor of Mitch, right. we talk about photos on a podcast. Anyway, please send everything that you have into dailybeanspod.com. Not everything you have. I mean, keep some stuff for yourself. And then you can click on contact at the, at the at the website. You have anything else you want to add, Dana, before we get out of here? Just a happy uh, last night of Hanukkah. I hope everyone had a very beautiful holiday season. And now we can uh, suit up. There's a war on Christmas coming. And I want you to be prepared. So happy Hanukkah, everyone. Mm. And that's, that's about it. I'm putting uh, together and decorating my war on Christmas tree tonight. Beautiful. Yep, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And uh, I'm going to pick up a mistletoe belt. So I've got that. And uh, that's good for the season. It's a gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. Hi. I'll be here all week. All right. Anyway, thank you. And uh, everybody, we'll see you tomorrow with Amy Carrero. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. Oh, and I've been DG. Oh, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>